0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Steve Hammes, for those of you who don't know me, and one of the elders here and a small group leader. And this is our third week in our series, From Death to Life. And um, I'm just excited because I think you're going to hear a great testimony today. But this is the week before Easter, and it's also known as Passion Week. Today is Palm Sunday. You guys got your palms when you you came in. And you know, so many events occurred during this week of Jesus' life. This was a week of high emotions, of crushed dreams, of unfulfilled expectations, of anger, of sorrow, and of desperation. But all of these things led to the apex of our faith, which is Jesus' resurrection on next Sunday. And I want to set the stage a little bit about today as Palm Sunday, in case you, you don't know the whole story or don't really know what it represents, but When Jesus was here, his ministry only covered about three years, his active ministry. And during these years, Jesus was active, but the Jewish people were really well aware that there was promised to them that one day they would have a Savior. They would have a Messiah who was going to come and save them. And the Romans ruled their land, and they were thinking, many of them, that when this Savior come, he was going to be a military figure who was going to conquer and smash the Romans and get them all out. And they're waiting for that person. There's some scholars that say that there's upwards of 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus' coming. That the Messiah would come. Even King David prophesied about Jesus coming and his resurrection in Psalms 16. He said, You will not let your faithful one decay. And as people got to know this Jesus and they saw his miracles and they listened to his wisdom and they listened to his teachings and watched him, They got so excited that there was a possibility this man could actually be the Messiah. I mean, how could they deny the facts? They saw some awesome things. They saw Jesus heal tons of people from disease and all kinds of things. They saw him actually raise people from the dead. They saw Jesus feed groups of 4,000 and 5,000 people out of a lunchbox that had a couple fish and a loaf of bread. It was amazing. They saw these wonderful things. Jesus knew the Old Testament law better than anybody else. He knew it backwards, forwards. He could stump the greatest priests of their time. They were getting so excited about this man that on Palm Sunday, what we celebrate today, Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a colt. And they knew what that represented because way back when, there was a prophet named Zechariah, and he had foretold that this would happen. In Zechariah 9, it said, Exult greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout for joy, O daughter Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. A just savior is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. So everything was just falling into place it was just amazing this could be happening all these things that they heard about just as they wanted it to just as they dreamed it would be it was so exciting and I think you and I we've all been there at some point in our lives and an aspect of our lives where we have a dream or a plan and you start to watch it unfold before you and then you start to walk down that path and watch it all come to fruition and we find life in our dreams don't we when we see that thing happening and life is going well, things are growing well, maybe it's buying your first house and you're so excited that's happening. Maybe it's getting your first real career job or you're getting that dream job that you always wanted. Or maybe it's having kids and having a family. Maybe it's saving enough money to go on that dream vacation you always wanted. Or maybe it's not having any conflict in your life and just having peace maybe that was your plan but it's exciting to be part of a plan that's working it's when you've done your homework and you've dreamed then you plan and you stepped out on it and it started to happen and then life throws you a curveball how many of you guys have been that ever have a curveball thrown at you when it comes and sometimes it just comes out of nowhere and it's like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute what what happened Maybe it's a slow spiral. Everything that you were trying to hold together in this nice little ball just starts to disintegrate in your hands and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's like somebody's coming into your life and they're shutting the light switches off one by one and everything's shutting down and your plan is dead. And now you find yourself just scrambling to figure out what's the next step. And today I want to hear a testimony from Heidi Karras, if you want to make your way up. So Heidi goes to Shiloh here, a very good friend of ours, and Heidi lived this exact scenario, so I'm going to have her share it with you.
1: Thank you, Steve. My story starts over 20 years ago in Phoenix, Arizona, outside my home, i Asking God if he was really real, and if he was, would he show himself to me? At the time I was married to my first husband, we had a great life. We had what I thought was a perfect marriage. We traveled wherever his job led him. He was very involved with our family and with our children. We were married for life, I thought. I had a vision of us as grandparents what our life would look like when our children grew and moved out. I thought we would be married for 50 years or more. He was gentle and kind, loved our kids, and provided for us. At this time, our daughter, Bethany, was diagnosed with a chronic illness. I was devastated, scared, and was looking for relief from my grief. I cried every day for three months. Steve, my ex-husband, and I worked well together in this situation. He read all about the science of it and answered my endless questions, and I took care of my daughter's shots and all of her meal plans. Within a year of her diagnosis, we moved here to New Hampshire, and we had our son, John. When John was about a year... Old, we had a health scare for him that sent us to the hematologist. When we found out, I spent the next five days in my sewing room, sewing, listening to the one CD Christian CD I had, and praying, thinking that my son had cancer. This is what I knew to do at the time. I knew to thank God. I knew to ask for forgiveness. And asked for what I wanted. And that was for my son to be well. And on Thursday of that week. At 1.15 in the afternoon. I had a washing over from my head to my toes. I was excited because I knew it was God. And when we went to the doctors the next day. The doctor told us we had a healthy, happy little boy. There was nothing wrong with him. So you see. God knew what was coming in my life, and it was not my son getting sick. God knew I was going to need him for something else. Within a year of my son's doctor appointment, my first husband left on a business trip, said, goodbye, I love you, came home and told me he met the love of his life, and he was leaving me. And on that day, we found out we were having our fifth child. This shattered my perfect life. It shattered the perfect vision of what I thought my life would be. I remember crying all the time. I couldn't sleep at night. There were so many unknowns in my life. I even lost 30 pounds during that pregnancy. She was born healthy and happy. No problems. (laughs) When he moved out, I was alone with four kids and one on the way with no education or job experience i was not only broken but i was really scared in the beginning i would ask god why i was pregnant but this little girl became his gift to me and my older daughters she was a ray of light we had something sweet to look forward to in the midst of this horrible time in our lives you see no one knew this was coming it was a complete shock to all of us. God kept bringing people into my life to minister to me, from all areas of my life. In my pain and grief, I would reach out to anyone who would talk to me for relief. That relief only came for a short time. I needed to talk and talk and talk and get those awful feelings out of me. The feeling of being thrown away, rejected, Told no one would ever want you. So many things I needed to battle. The shattering of my perfect life. The 50th wedding anniversary I will never have. My current husband, Kevin, and I knew each other. He would call me and check up on me once in a while. I think he felt kind of sorry for me. (laughs) One day after Renee was born, he invited me to attend an alpha course. This is where I found out what happened to me in my sewing room. I was actually saved that day. This opened up a whole new door for me. The understanding of who God is and that he is for me, not against me. I clung to him. I clung to his word. I clung to those who would pray for me and pray with me. Kevin and I started dating. I couldn't believe anyone could love me as much as he did. You see, I knew that I loved my first husband more than he loved me. So this love was at a whole new level for me. We eventually got married and had to blend our family of eight. It was tough in the beginning. We had a hard time blending our family. I wasn't sure Kevin and I were going to make it. You see, we only had a 5% chance because, statistically, when you're on your third marriage, it's only a 5% chance of your survival, as Kevin is on his third marriage with me. So, not only that, you throw in four teenage daughters and all of their emotions at the time. (laughs) We started coming to Shiloh a couple years into our marriage. Sitting here in this sanctuary, I cried during worship. I cried during messages. I cried during prayer. I even cried during communion. God was moving in my heart, in my marriage, and in my family. In the beginning of our marriage, I was either angry or sad most of the time. Over the years we had some really big ups and downs in blending our family. We had to deal with all of the kids' emotions, ex-spouses, more than our fair share of chronic illness with more than one child, and an eating disorder. We know that if it wasn't for God, we would not have made it. In the midst of this, Kevin and I sought out couples who had marriages and families we admired. Each gave us godly advice. We knew who to talk to who would build us up and not tear us down. Ed poured so much into our marriage in the early years. Have you ever heard of anybody doing marriage counseling separately? That's what Kevin and I did because it worked for us. (laughs) Remember, neither one of us had successful marriages, so we needed all the help we could get, and we reached out for that. Through it all, we relied on God. We prayed that he would blend our family and be in every part of our life. No matter how tough things got, Kevin prayed that God would hold my heart in his hand, and I prayed God change me or change him. We've been married Almost 18 years now, I could have stayed stuck in that pain from my past, but I chose to trust God. Over the past five years, we've gone through some pretty scary trials, from lost jobs to health crisis, and God showed up in amazing ways every time for us. He provided jobs, even a new company, Recovery and healing. The more trials we have, the more hope and assurance we have that he will show up for us. Over the years, Kevin and I have prayed that God would blend our family as one. This past year and a half, we've had to deal with a major health crisis with one of our daughters, Taylor. She has two chronic illnesses which led to complications. She was in kidney failure, needed a transplant, and had that transplant this past July. Only three of us in our family could be tested for various reasons. Her sister Megan was the only match in our family, she was a perfect match. We were told by the transplant team, you cannot get a better match. So here's the miracle. Megan and Taylor are not biologically related. The transplant team could not believe they were not biological sisters. Their match was that close. If I go back to that very dark time in my life with my first husband... Would I have ever thought that it would lead to our family to have life-saving surgery for one of my daughters? No, I would not. On the day of surgery, the peace that surpasses all understanding blanketed me. I was so calm, it was crazy. Two of our children were in surgery on the same day. But this is what I know. God not only brought me through the darkest time in my life and my many, many trials. He had shown up time and time again, and why would he not show up again? So God blended my family as one, and those dark days of my divorce led to new life for my child.
0: What an awesome testimony, huh? And Heidi, thank you. That takes courage to come up and share something like that. And for each of the people that have shared their testimonies, I'm I'm thankful for that. You know, we live across the street from Heidi and Kevin, and I remember when that happened. And we would see Heidi's light on at night, late at night, and we didn't know her really well. But my wife felt led by God to start praying for her. And then we got to know Heidi better, and we became very good friends with her and Kevin. And we've had the privilege of just watching God work through their lives, and it's been just wonderful to stand and watch that. You know, I think there's times in everyone's life when your plans are interrupted or destroyed, and the true test of us as Christians isn't really how much Bible you know or how hard you pray or what you do for other people. The true test of us, the litmus test of Christians is what do you do and how do you respond to these life events when they come your way. How do you respond with your faith when it happens? Do you take your faith, put it in the passenger seat, and you take control and try to steer the ship and control everything and make things work out? Or do you and your faith get in the passenger seat and let God have control? You know, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day on the colt, those people went home that night so excited that this could be Jesus the Messiah. They had no idea that in five days he would be murdered that he would be hanging on a cross with nails in his wrists and in his feet. They had no idea. And Peter, who just a few days before said, I would do anything for you, Jesus, was sitting there in sorrow and shame and guilt that when the time came, he couldn't do it. And he's asking himself, how did this happen? How did we get here? And I think a lot of us at some point have asked that same question. How did this happen? And how did I get here? It's at this intersection when life events come our way that I truly believe that we have to stop and we have to make an intentional decision about how we're going to respond and how we're going to move forward because that decision can have everlasting impact. You see, God brought life through the death of his son. Jesus willingly went to the cross on Friday knowing what was going to happen on Friday, five days from today. Willing to die to pay the price for the penalty of our sins that you and I would create during our lifetime. He died and he rose from the dead to give you eternal life, but not just eternal life, which is the greatest thing that he could give you. You also get life every day from Jesus, if you'll let him. You see, every day... You and I, we're writing our testimony. You're writing a story. That word testimony comes from the Latin word testus, which means witness. So, witness, eyewitness testimony, you've heard that. It's what people see. You're writing your story. And a lot of times, our testimony is written through going through tests. You might not see how things are going to work out, you don't know how they're going to end, you don't know how you're going to pay for rent or how you're going to pay for food. Or how are you going to survive the death of a loved one? Or how are you going to go through a health crisis like Heidi found herself in? Or how are you going to diffuse an argument or work alongside a really difficult coworker? Or how are you going to last through a job that's just sucking the life out of you? You don't know how it's going to end, but God does. In these situations, it's more important for us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to fix our eyes on the process and to trust him in the process than it is to figure out how we get to the end of it. Because that process is your testimony. Your story lies between the covers of the book. In Philippians 4, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in James, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But maybe you're sitting there today going, you know, I don't have that problem. Actually, things are kind of fine. I don't have a crisis in my life like you're talking about. But I am spiritually dead inside. I mean, I'm going through life. I'm going through the motions. But I just feel dead. There's no spark. There's no life. There's nothing, no fire in my belly. And you might just be asking yourself, is this it? Is this all there is to life? And I can honestly answer you this question. No. No, it's not. Jesus is the author of life, and he gives freely to those who seek him. And Jesus is the only one that can take your circumstance, no matter how difficult it is, and breathe life in the midst of it. He's the only one that can do that. But there's a role for you. There's a part that you have to play in this. This is a partnership with God, and I think there's a couple practical steps that you can take. And the first one is to surrender. Surrender it, whether it's nothing crisis related, whether it's a crisis, we surrender it. We give it to God and we say, You know what? I'm going to trust you with the details, God. I'm going to seek you and let you handle the details. It's laying him at his feet and trusting him. James 4 8 says this Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In Matthew, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burden, and I, will give you rest. And in Psalms 37, it says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. This morning, I was having my devotional, and Oswald Chambers said this. I thought it was really profound. He says, Surrendering takes faith, and faithfulness to Jesus means that I must step out even when and where I can't see anything. But faithfulness to my own ideas means that I must first clear the way mentally so that I can see how it works. Faith, however, is not an intellectual understanding. Faith is a deliberate commitment to the person of Jesus Christ, even when I can't see the way ahead. So I think we as Christians, sometimes we become so used to trusting in God's provision And what he's given us and what he's provided for us, as long as we have those things in front of us, we place our trust in them. But we don't yet really know how to trust the provider. So when the things that we trust in are taken away or disrupted or our plans go away, it's foreign for us to really place our trust in the provider. It's new territory and we don't know how yet to do it. And that's the shift. That's the shift to trust the provider and not what we can see ahead of us it's totally different so that goes to making what's called a one degree change so I'm totally stealing this from Heidi (laughs) we were talking about this book that she her book club read called atomic habits it's a self kind of a self-help book but they went through it and the author gave this analogy for your physical life but I think it totally applies to your spiritual life as well and he talked about making a one-degree change if you're a pilot and you're in Los Angeles and you want to fly to New York, if you make a one-degree change in your flight path, it's about seven feet. But over the course of that time, by the time you reach your journey, that one-degree change will place you in Washington, D.C. and not in New York. One degree. By making a one-degree change over your life, you can land in somewhere completely different. If you keep doing the same thing, you can end up in the same place. So what can that one degree change be for us? It can be something super simple. That one degree change could be something as getting into the scripture for 10 minutes a day. Who can't carve out 10 minutes of your day? Maybe it's looking up the issue that you're going through and say, what's the top 10 scriptures, Mr. Google? And getting them and putting them on note cards and pulling them out during the day and just read them one a day. Read through it through the day. It's going from your ears into your heart. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. It drops into your heart. Maybe the the one degree for you is to just focus on someone else instead of the problem. Maybe it's dropping a message, a, a text message or an email or a phone call to somebody else or pray for somebody else during the day. Maybe that's your one degree. Maybe it's spending time in prayer and not just coming to God and doing our verbal vomit, which is, hey, can you give me this, this, this? Maybe it's we tell them what's going on and then we take the time to listen. We in America are not really good at listening. (laughs) We're the McDonald's type. I want to get my food and go. I want to pray and go. But it's hard for us to sit down and listen. And I encourage you, try it. And it might be really uncomfortable and weird for you at first, but when you talk to God and you ask him and you lay this out in front of him, just stop and listen. And pay attention to the first thing that pops into your spirit. Because that's probably God. Look for him to interrupt your day. And be on the lookout for opportunities. And in fact, invite them to interrupt your day and look out for those opportunities. They're everywhere around us to focus on something different. And lastly, trade your sorrows for joy. Focus on gratitude. In the midst of, I think of Heidi, in the midst of all her and Kevin were going through and when Heidi was alone. And she said to to me yesterday, she said, you know, it's really good that I wrote this down. Because I was able to see how God wove himself through my story. I was able to see how God was there again and again and again. And she can focus on gratitude. That story that she's writing and that God's writing is there for generations past her. Her generations can look at this story, what happened between the covers of this book, and said, you know, God moved miraculously through this book. So if you find yourself in despair, he's writing your testimony your book and be grateful for what he's given you. I want to close by just reading the words to a song by Elevation Worship called "O Come to the Altar. It says, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself and do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. O come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. O come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So would you stand with me and we'll close? So Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for these testimonies that we've heard each week where you're bringing life from death. When we look at situations, God, and we don't see how we get out of them, we don't see where the end is, God, even the minute details that we can bring to you, Lord, you care and you're there. And you breathe life into the most difficult situations, Lord. You breathe life into our everyday living if we seek you, Lord. God, I just think of of your son who today, we celebrate him riding into Jerusalem on a colt. Knowing what the next five days was going to bring him. That he willingly went through each of those days. I think of the last supper where he had all of his disciples sitting around and and telling them what was going to happen, they just couldn't comprehend it. They had no idea of the enormity of what was going to happen that would change the world forever. Jesus, you loved people along the way. You encouraged them. You healed them. You met them where they needed you to be. And on Friday, you went to that cross willingly, facing those people accusing you of nothing. And you willingly went to the cross, had those spikes driven into your feet and into your wrists, so that you could die and pay the penalty for our sins, just so you could have a relationship with us for eternity. That's just enormous. It's awesome, God. I thank you, Jesus. We could never repay you. But we welcome that relationship. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a relationship like that with Jesus, or maybe it's just gone to the wayside and you've put your faith in the passenger seat, I encourage you, don't walk out these doors today without renewing it. I encourage you, don't walk out the doors today leaving Jesus Christ behind. Invite him into your life. Surrender to your life to him and he will breathe life into you. We thank you, Jesus, for your gift. We celebrate this week as Resurrection Sunday approaches. We bring you glory. In your name we pray, amen. So if you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray with you for whatever is on your mind, whatever is on your heart. But have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.